Welcome to the Matthew Moran podcast. Here I sit down and talk with some of the best photographers, writers, editors, designers, and publishers working in the visual arts. These conversations will give you an insight into the lives of creative professionals and industry experts. And it is a chance to hear their story and personal journey in a rapidly changing, highly competitive, but hugely exciting field. I've had the pleasure of working with many of my guests over the years and have learned so much from spending time with them. Not just working together on projects, but having conversations about what it means to be a creative freelancer, sourcing exciting projects, sharing skills through partnerships, and not losing sight of your goals and dreams. This podcast is my chance to share these stories with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. My guest today is Helen Jilks. Helen is the manager of Nature Picture Library, a leading natural history picture agency based in Bristol in the west of England. Helen has been involved in natural history images from her early career, working as a researcher and editing children's natural history books. In 1984, she went on to work for the Wildlife Photographer of the Year competition for 10 years and really helped grow the feel and style of photography, which in the early days were largely record shots of plants and animals into the creative and innovative images we see in the competition today. Helen continued this approach of sourcing creative photographs when she was asked to set up the BBC Natural History Unit's picture collection, gathering strong and diverse images from cameramen and women and producers working in the field in a variety of locations around the world. In 2005, Helen took over the library to form what is now Nature Picture Library, and the collection of high-quality images has grown and boasts a rich list of contributing photographers, including Pete Cairns, Andy Rouse, Staffan Widstrand and Sandra Bartosha. In a rapidly changing subject, Helen says the library walks a fine line and the challenges since the digital revolution and ever-decreasing budgets for images certainly keeps them busy. And now, with the advancement of DSLR cameras and their capability to shoot film, Many photographers are turning their attention towards the moving image, and the library is a growing collection of high-resolution video clips for sale. In her busy schedule, and just back from a holiday to India, Helen was kind enough to give up some time, and we caught up at the Nature Picture Library headquarters in Bristol to talk about all of this and more. Helen, welcome along. Thanks very much for taking part, your guest number six on the Matthew Moran podcast, um, and really appreciate you giving up your time, just got back from holiday and sure inundated with lots of work, um, and we're actually doing this podcast from the offices, we've got a bit of an audience here um, at Nature Picture Library in Bristol, so just going to crack right on because I know we've got limited time. Um, First of all, you tell us, how was your trip to India? You've just got back. <laughs> well, it was amazing. Um, uh, very full-on. It's a real assault on the senses. There's nothing um, clinical about India at all. It's all going on out there. It's very colourful. Um, lots of interesting smells. Everything is very, very different. And um, somewhat to my surprise, animals seem to play a big part in people's lives. And wherever you go, there are cows beautiful cows actually wandering around the streets yes. lying down in the middle of the streets round roundabouts and meanwhile the traffic is sort of 
motorbikes, auto rickshaws, sort of racing around, um, managing to avoid them. And apparently there's very large fines payable if you do run into one. Wow. And uh, also lots and lots of street dogs, very docile animals by and large, it seems, wandering the streets and uh, monkeys as well. <laughs> and all of, them, all of them seem to be tolerated by people and indeed even fed by them. So that was very interesting to see that. It sounds like the quintessential Indian experience. Um, like you say, an assault on the senses, the smells, the foods. Yes. Um, but yeah, an amazing place. Um, but you were, we were talking earlier, so it wasn't primarily a, a wildlife trip, kind of more of a culture trip. But, That's right, yes. Yeah. It was my first visit there. So I went with a couple of friends who were very interested in textiles, so we did a lot of visiting people who print and embroider and quite a bit of shopping as well. So in fact, my spare room looks like an Indian bazaar at the moment. <laughs> um, but we did actually get to the little run of Kutch, which is this amazing salt pan mm -hmm. desert, where there is a population of wild asses, which you can actually see, that live on the fringes of, of the desert. So it was very nice right. to see them. You couldn't avoid doing a, a wildlife-slash-nature trip on oh, your holiday? No, no. I mean, it would have been nice to have done more of that, really, but yeah. it wasn't really... Wasn't possible, but wherever you go, there are birds, beautiful birds, and there are. Even though it was quite desert-like in Gujarat, there are a lot of sort of shallow, large shallow lakes, which are perfect for wading birds. So we saw lots of spoonbills and flamingos, and lots of smaller wading birds, and and peacocks, peacocks everywhere, very common. Amazing. So that was lovely. Amazing. Mm. And so going back a bit, a little bit to the beginning and your journey and this is interesting for me because I've had mainly photographers and, and bookmakers um, oh. on the podcast <laughs> but coming uh, at it from you know a, a, a stock agency library a picture agency library someone works on the other side with with images um, I was reading your CV and it sounds like you've been involved in natural history for a very very long time quite some time yes yeah yes my uh, first proper job was with a um, publishing house small um, children's book publisher and for some reason although I have a degree in French and history I ended up in the natural history section and um, it went on from there really. Was that something do you remember as a kid being into natural history or was that something that came a little bit later? Mm, not really I mean I grew up in the country we had a big garden we had ponies so I was always around animals yeah and I liked being outside in nature um, but I didn't study biology or anything like that when I was uh, at school uh -huh. so uh, but I, I always think I had a natural interest in in countryside things yeah and being here in in in, in Bristol where we are obviously it's a, the center for natural history units and all sorts of events that go on here around wildlife filmmaking and and, and picture taking and and you know is that you, you said you grew up in the how long how long have you lived in Bristol Ooh, nearly 30 years now, wow. quite a long time. Yeah. Yes. But I mean, you're not far from lovely places in Bristol, all directions, got yeah. a lovely country. And I, I enjoy walking quite a bit, so get out and do some walking as often as I can, really. Lovely. Um, and after, the, after working in the, in the pub, well, what kind of things were you doing in the, in the publishing company? What sort of things um, were you producing? Well, we had, there was a series called Spotter's Guides, which were like children's ID books. Oh, great. And um, I think I worked on something called Wildlife in the Garden and Farmland 
farm animals. Yeah. Um, and then from there I went to work on Wildlife magazine, which is now BBC Wildlife. So it used to be called Wildlife magazine? Yes, and um, Ros Kidman-Cox, who was editor, I met her at Osborne, she was at the children's publishers where I worked. She got the job as editor of this magazine called Wildlife, mm-hmm. and um, I, think, I think she managed, basically managed to persuade the BBC to, to buy it, and it moved to Bristol. And um, I then took on managing the wildlife photographer competition, which was organised by the BBC Wildlife magazine and the Natural History Museum yes. in London. So that was so, way back in 1984, I saw. That's that was, right. I mean, what, I mean, they get unbelievable amount of entries now, that competition. I mean, yes. What was it like back got, in? got quite a few yeah. back then. I mean, I remember at least uh, 10,000 entries. And, of course, it was transparencies yeah. in those days. So you well, I was going to ask that. If, you know, that was the... That was the. I mean, it was. I worked for that competition in two thousand and one, and it was still all transparencies mm. then. But did you get other? You know, were black and white images allowed back then, or were there were the colour yes, mixed so as well? Yes, there were. Um, no, I think we might have accepted um, colour prints the first year, but I think we quite soon decided that really serious nature photographers were working in transparency yeah. film. Uh, I think it, we we allowed it for the children, mm-hmm. children's categories. But um, as far as I remember, it was all transparencies. And I think there certainly was a black and white section some years, maybe not all years. Yeah. And obviously, prints came in for that. Right. Well, it's changed around you know, quite, quite a bit since then. There's, there seems to be new categories, and they kind of sometimes eliminate some categories, bring, bring yes. some back. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of... Well, for me, as a, a wildlife photographer, it's sort of the holy grail if you get an image in yes. that competition. It's certainly the most world-renowned. Yeah. How long did you work there? Uh, I worked there for ten years. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. I mean, I think it was probably one of the first sort of big competitions. I mean, there are lots of them now. Yes. But I think in the 1980s and 90s, it was probably the main nature competition. And I think it did an, an awful lot to raise aesthetic standards of nature photography. Yes. Um, because I think really up to that point wildlife photography had been largely record shots and right. people went out and were very pleased if they could get a good um, identifiable picture yes. of an animal rather than but creative the, rather exactly yeah. exactly so I think the competition you know started to get photographers to think a bit differently about their work yes which was interesting yeah definitely mm. um, and then from there, you, well, I mean, I don't know if it was from there from 1994, was that when you got involved in, in um, picture libraries? Yes, well, How did that... I've moved from London to Bristol in the meantime, and um, it was the Natural History Unit. Um, the, the then head of the unit decided that it would be useful to have a picture library within the facility because a lot of the cameramen and producers took pictures when they were on location. Yes. Um, so I heard this. <laughs> and were these good pictures? I mean, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, the, yes, the yes, competition had a lot to do mm. with, you know, forcing people or photographers into taking more creative pictures or were they, you know, because it's hard to do if you're out in the field filming and taking pictures. It's, it's hard to do both, I can yes, imagine. Yes, it is. But I mean, I think it was a requirement. It was a requirement, people working for the unit that um, they came back with pictures that yeah. could be used to promote 
the series. Right. So most of the cameramen also did stills as well. Yeah. I mean, some you know someone someone like for example Martin Kolbeck was primarily a cameraman. Right. But he was winner of the Wildlife Photographer of the Year competition one year. Yeah. Picture Doug Allen also took very good pictures. Yeah. So I even... mean, it's a similar you know it's a visual skill I think cameraman photographer you know the two of them it's not surprising I think that cameramen make good are good photographers yeah as well. and if they are in the field it's you know even yeah. though they're focusing on capturing moving yeah. images they're they, you know they could still have time to mm. produce a lot of content and yes I mean they would get to places that might be very difficult to get to yeah. for filming and they maybe get to see behaviors that sure quite difficult mm. so anyway so that was yes 94 but I mean obviously the people working the unit, there was not enough work being produced to actually have a viable picture library. Right. So we looked outside to represent, to recruit photo- I see. photographers in order to build up yeah. basic stock as well. Yeah, sure. Mm. And that's some, I, I interviewed um, uh, Chris Ryan, who is a stock advertising photographer, and you know, we talked a lot about the kind of heyday mm. of, of advertising photography in the 90s and you know big big budget shoots and people paying you know extraordinary amounts for images yes and how how did that compare to you know the early days of stock image for wildlife photographers and were you able to fetch good money for some pictures and you know was the was the quality good enough was it used in advertising back then or was it mainly Um, kind of editorial stuff well we we didn't really deal much with advertising i mean People like Getty and some of the other libraries were very focused on the advertising yes. market and they would produce these very glossy catalogues of images which would be sent around their clients. And um, these pictures would sell very well and a lot of money was made. Um, but we were always more on this sort of editorial side of things. So I think we just really missed that... Um, those glory days <laughs> when stock photography was very profitable yeah yes. and it's I guess it continues to be a challenge particularly you know since the dig- digital revolution um, you know everybody seems to be a photographer these days and I'm sure you you get lots of um, you know people wanting to submit also people paying less prices for image images and ha- did that kind of how did that affect well first of all you know before Nature Picture Library went independent how did that affect kind of BBC Natural History Unit Picture Library? Um, well, I mean, we've always... Our job is to basically, you know, walk a fine line, trying to get the best price we can um, while still remaining, you know, viable. Because obviously if you price yourself too high, clients aren't going to um, use you. Mm. So it's always been like that. But I have to say that prices... They've never gone up yes. since I started doing this 20 years ago. They've only, you know, there has been there's constant downward pressure on pricing. Yeah. It, it's very difficult, but there are still clients out there who will pay reasonable amounts of money. Yes. Um, and they value service. They value knowing that they get an image. It's likely, from us, it's going to be um, hopefully ac- accurately captioned yeah. that they will get service and help from the people who work here. Yeah, and that's something that I've really learned over the years, you know, being part of Nature Picture Libraries is, you know, often when I tell people who don't know about how it works, you say, oh, you know, how much do they take? You say 50%, they're like, oh, wow, 50%. Yes. But then people don't see that you have staff, office, you know, expert yep. staff, all kind of qualified zoologists and 
expert picture researchers, a lot goes yes. into trying to sell an image. Yep, and a lot of active um, sales work. Yes. Yep, proactive. Yeah. We don't just sit there waiting for people to find us and sure. come to us. Um, we, we actively go to clients with, with ideas, whether it's book projects or magazine articles. Yeah. Um, trying to show people all the time things that they may be interested in. And so you took over, um, or helped set up, the BBC Natural mm. History Unit Picture Library and you're outsourcing photographers and I assume then the collection started to grow, started getting some interesting pictures. How long did you, you run that for? Well, until um, and in 2002. Mm -hmm. um, so this would have all still been on transparency? Well, it was and it wasn't. I mean, right. this was the unfortunate thing. It was a period of transition. I mean, even in 94, we knew that it was going to become digital. Wow, that early? Oh, yes. I mean, it Great. was coming. Yeah. But, um, it was still a bit early. Sure. Um, so it was a very expensive operation for libraries going from analogue to digital because... The digital cameras were not really up to standard mm -hmm. to get the kind of images that were, you know, we needed. So what happened was that we had to select the best transparencies and, and have them scanned at high resolution. That was very expensive. Yeah. So um, that's what we were doing, is scanning transparencies for the website. Yeah, there's a um, lot of labour in that. <laughs> Well, you know, labour and, uh, and money, so it was it was a tricky time, and that was the sort of late 1990s, right. early 2000s. Anyway, the long and short of it was the BBC decided that really they shouldn't be uh, running a commercial unit within the Natural History Unit, so they decided that they, they weren't going to keep the library. Right. At which point um, I put in a proposal to take it on independently, and fortunately that all went through. The timing of it sounded quite good as well. Um, well, it's with the advent we, of, of I mean, talking about the digital transition. Yes. We had a website, yes. which was great. So, uh, starting off independently, we did actually have a website. Yeah. And a, a reasonable number of pictures uh, scanned. Um, we did charge back to the photographers the scanning because you know the costs were. Yeah, I remember those been, days. Um, <laughs> astronomical, so we we put a debit against each picture that we scanned yes. and if it, when it's when it's old then there was a charge made to the photographer so that must have been kind of nerve-wracking taking it on yourself how <laughs> tell us a bit well um not really i no. mean i always sort of believed that it would work yeah. but i also knew it would, would take a sort of period of time um to get up to sufficient numbers and for it to be um, viable yes and um when you're inside a big organisation such as the BBC, you've got a, a lot of overheads, which um, as soon as you become an independent unit, you, you, you don't have. So it's easier to be profitable in a way when yeah. you're not being charged overheads for you know, the car park, the canteen, uh, personnel, all those kind of things. Yeah, sure. So, and then fast forward a few years and we're now talking about not just digital stills, but moving image, you know, with the capability of DSLR cameras yes. shooting high-definition video throws up another interesting transition and complications yes. as well with yes. getting photographers, you know, to submit their video footage correctly and, and I know that you had a lot of um, kind of trying to get it right on the website, being able to sell video footage and 
Yeah, all of this work, I guess like a nature photographer making a book, it just takes a lot of time and investment, but how, how, is, how is it going with them? with video sales on the, well, on the website? Well, um, it's, it's ticking along. Not, we haven't got an awful lot of content because actually it's very time-consuming processing right. video clips, M much more time-consuming than stills. So I think we've probably got about 8,000 8, clips right. online, but obviously we probably need five times that, really. Um, but people, I think, are beginning to know that we've got it and we you know we are selling the odd clip yeah not as much as I hope we would have been by now but um, interestingly enough I thought that the educational publishers would pick up and on that and buy clips but they don't seem to be doing that very much yes but we are selling for conservation organizations for their communications and also to broadcast companies as well yeah so it's 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 working, but I guess it's coming. It's, yeah, it's slow. slow. I, I think it will. I'm I'm sure it will. It's going to pick up. Yes. But we we need more a lot more content really. Yeah, and then I guess it's also relying on you know not not every photographer is going to be a great filmmaker or have a handle on that and no. getting steady pictures and that they're shot in the right format and yep. all of that kind of stuff is a I can imagine a bit of a headache. Well. Well, there's a certain amount of hand holding goes on. Right. And, um, yes. Um, people do need sort of guidance, yes. And then I was also interested, because you're not just the manager of this picture library, but you're involved in... Is, are you still a trustee at the, the Wild Screen Film no, Festival? No, I, I, did, I did quite a few years there, yes. and it was time to stand down. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I'm not anymore. No. But you're also um, reading as a, the, a fellow of the... ILCP, yes. the International League of Conservation Photographers. Yes. And you tell us a bit, a bit about that and how you got involved in uh, that. Right. Well, um, it was set up in America by a group of photographers who felt it was very important to be using their work for conservation aims. Yes. So um, people apply to be members, fellows, and they have associate fellows. And... Um, I'm, I'm on there. I'm an associate because I'm not a photographer. Yes. And basically, at the moment, I help them with their application process. So, photographers who are applying to be an associate or a senior fellow, um, they have to complete a, quite a rigorous sort of application form with photos. And obviously, storytelling is really important. Is taking pictures that actually tell conservation story. Yes. So I, along with four other people, we assess the applications. So that's very interesting. Yeah. And then once a year, for the last three years anyway, in Washington, D.C., they have a two-day conference. Mm -hmm. So they have some of their members showing what they've been doing, working on. And, um, yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, we, we represent quite a few of the photographers, and it's the sort of work that... I'm particularly, and I think most people who work here are very interested in, because it's not just single images that people are taking. Uh, it's actually photographers trying to tell important stories. Yes. And I think it makes it a lot more meaningful. Yes. And um, what, possibly what distinguishes us from a lot of other libraries. Uh, most general libraries will have some nature pictures, but it'll tend to be single, what I call single images, you know, pictures of elephants, tigers. Sure. 
um, but not necessarily taken as part of a story. Yeah. Whereas we really value having um, much more complete coverage of subjects. I understand. Mm. Yeah, so kind of packages. Yes, um, yes. Rather than sort of standalone wonderful images, kind of you know, a collection yeah. of images can have a bigger, yeah. Yeah. a bigger impact. And I mean, when I'm looking at uh, taking, possibly taking on a new photographer, um, by and large, I'm not going to be interested in what I would call a single image photographer. Yeah. I'm looking for photographers who can cover subjects in depth. Yeah, well, that's one that's you kind of jumped ahead because it's one of my questions oh. about. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, you know, taking on new photographers, I mean, I, you know, I get on, on your list and you get these monthly emails and yep. talking about, oh, we've added another 2,000 images to the collection. Yes. And I remember you once, I remember once saying to you, you know, I think I was with, with Tony, a photographer here, and he was showing you images of tigers. And I said, oh, Helen, do you really need more pictures of tigers? And <laughs> you said, well, we, you know, we always need fresh images. But, you know, if there was a photographer um, coming to, you know, approach you with their collection, what kind of things are you looking for, you know, as well as the stories that you just mentioned? Gosh, well, we're always looking to fill the gaps. Yeah. And where, where are the gaps? I mean, I suppose Asia is a, a very large area which has not been so well photographed. Right. And also parts of Africa, West Africa, um, Sahel regions of Africa. We haven't got so much. Yeah. I mean, we've got a lot from South Africa and East Africa because that's where photographers tend to go. Of course, yeah. Um, and, well, I suppose I'm looking for a... Obviously, the quality of the photography is really important too. Yes. And, you know, really good photography does stand out. And when I'm first scanning pictures that a photographer sent, you know, to be honest, if nothing stands out, then I'm not going to be interested because yeah. it's no doubt. I mean, it's very encouraging that the quality does, good quality does sell. Yeah, especially in, a, so, in, a, in an age where there's, you know, so many images exactly. out there. And, and you can be, I mean, especially someone like you, I can imagine you get very desensitised. <laughs> to looking at images but if something stands out yes then it's going then to be take notice yeah absolutely yeah. and that's what we need we need standout images yeah so anyone listening yeah. they have to go to the far reaches of asia or well, not necessarily <laughs> they could be doing their own back garden yeah. but doing it in a novel interesting way yes um, yeah. it doesn't have to be exotic at all in fact the familiar is what sells probably better yeah it's interesting mm. Um, going back a bit about uh, to talking about the conservation side of photography, because you know it's something that I'm interested in, and um, I know on the on the library as well that you you actually you donate, don't you, uh, to different campaigns, yeah. to different organisations. How does that work? Well, every three months we choose a different organisation to support, right. and basically we just give them seven hundred and fifty pounds usually straight to the organisation but it could be to pay for photography because that's right. a nice sort of tie-in sure an organisation needs some good photography so it's very direct of their, giving yeah of, of their activities I mean one of the nicest organisations we supported recently was um, it's based in South Africa and it's um, taking local African children well first of all teaching them about photography and then taking them into national parks because it's amazing how many of them have never been in a national park or seen an elephant but it's just sort of raising their awareness of what's in their own country wow. and encouraging them to document it so that was you know we're looking for small organizations doing interesting things yeah on the ground on the ground yeah. yes but we've also supported um um 
restoration of dew ponds in Somerset, mm -hmm. which is very good for reptiles, amphibians. Right. So all sorts of things. Great. Worldwide yeah. support. That's well, brilliant. yes, it can be local. Well, we like to do a balance between local yeah. British and more exotic. And um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's fun choosing you know the different ones and we ask our photographers if they've got any proposals any because often they have what they've been working with smaller organizations who are trying to achieve conservation aims yeah and i see that as something that's kind of maybe a bit of a trend that's changing in photographers being storytellers rather than just yeah. great image makers and i guess it it opens out more opportunities to get your work seen or certainly to get published if you've got a collection yeah. of good images rather than yeah. trying to get you know an incredible behaviour shot and just spending hours and hours and hours in the field of yes. a collection of perhaps rougher, not perfect images mm. might be able to you know, get you a little bit more exposure. Yes, I mean, I would say to any photographer who's trying to improve their work is to work on a story rather than just go out and take single images. And yeah. Because in, at the end of the day, I think photography, it's a tool. And it's really how you apply it and what you use it for, which makes it interesting. Yes. So you've got to find a theme and a, a niche where you work, I think. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, um, um, that's great advice. And um, we're just going to come slowly to an end here. I was curious, you know, I actually was interested in what you said about, you know, knowing digital was coming back in 1994. Yes. And thinking about now and beginning of 2018, what do you think the future holds for, for <laughs> stock agencies and, and nature photography in general, just particularly taking into account um, you know, the use of, of moving image and more and more photographers you know, moving into that with the capabilities mm. of the camera, I think. But it is different, yeah. you know, uh, I think there will always be a need for still good still photographs. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, people... I think we'll always want to have prints on their walls. I think, you know, books will continue despite everything and, you know, they'll need front cover images. Um, and I still can... Well, it's a sort of artistic element, isn't it? You can't really put a film in a frame and put it on your wall, can you? That's true. So... I think there's always going to be a Yeah, there's a, role a timelessness, isn't there, to mm. a still, whereas, mm. yeah, a moving image, obviously it's great to see mm. some great behaviour. Exactly. But you're right, you're, it's, it's on a, well, it's on, you know, you're streaming it or watching it on a DVD, it's not yes. there to last. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, well, thank you very much for taking the time out of your working day as well to talk to us, and um, I'll uh, certainly put up the, some links, um, Nature Picture Library website on, on your page. And, Thank you. Um, <laughs> and we'll re reach out to, to, to the audience. But um, yeah, no, it's been, been really interesting, certainly hearing your point of view and coming at it from a different angle. You know, I didn't want this podcast just to be about um, photographers, but the, but the whole package. Um, so, you know, we're slowly, slowly building that. So thanks very much. You're very welcome. That was great fun conducting the interview in the offices and great to hear Helen giving up so many good tips to any young and emerging photographers who are listening. It comes up time and again that storytelling with pictures is definitely the best way forward. 
not just to get recognition, but to go deeper into a subject, whether that's wildlife or people or any style of photography for that matter. It was also good to hear the point of view from someone working on behalf of the photographers and helping them to reach a wider audience. I think this is often overlooked when it comes to good agencies and I can certainly vouch for the hard work and effort that goes into selling images. Um, the MPL team are a, a great bunch and very dedicated to their work. So to see their website, if you want to have a look at their collection, um, which is huge, you can visit www.naturepl.com. Um, they also are very active in promoting stories. They have a book of the month um, and uh, they're always adding new and amazing images to their collection. So to find out more about me, you can visit matthewmoran.com. You can share and subscribe on iTunes. And it would be great as this podcast grows if you can take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. It would be a big help. I have workshops, photography workshops on Hampstead Heath with availability now from June onwards. Uh, they're getting busy, so if you'd like to join, you can visit the workshops page on my website. And if social media is your thing, you can check me out at Matt Moran Photo for both Twitter and Instagram. I have to say I tend to be a bit more active on Instagram these days than anything else. Um, but if you'd like to have a look at my work on Facebook, it's forward slash Matthew Moran Photography. So look out for my next guest. I was very pleased to meet up with in Bristol on my mini tour. Um, it will be released in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned and thanks again for listening.